starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Hello, everybody! How are you doing today? I hope today is treating you well. Welcome back to my podcast, But Ma, That's My Favorite Movie. And today we are embarking into the last part of this Back to School Edition series. And I'm super excited to, uh, be, to be closing out this theme. But keep in mind, like I've mentioned before, um, I definitely plan to bring this series back. I'm not quite sure when. Maybe it could be around school time. Maybe, I don't know. It just depends. It can can come back anytime. But for now, I'm going to be wrapping up this particular uh, uh, series that I'm doing for Back to School. And um, like I mentioned before, the whole back to school theme is just in relevance to what exactly has been going on uh, towards the end of August, which are most kids are going back to school, whether in person and virtually. And I just thought it would be a fun little theme because normally when I pick my themes, I base it on current events or things that are happening and then if nothing's really happening I just kind of choose whatever theme I think fits for uh what it fits in that particular month all right so you know what I gotta do before I go any further I gotta thank my listeners if you're a returning listener thank you so much for coming back I appreciate you you're a real one period if you are a new listener well, hello, welcome, and you are in for a treat today if you're just coming into this third part of the series. Like I mentioned, we have um, uh, we have two other episodes, But Ma, That's My Favorite Teen Movie, and then we have But Ma, That's My Favorite Kid in a Movie. So if you want to go listen to those to get into the school spirit, then check those out. All right, so... Let's go ahead and just get into it. So today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite College Movie. So if you haven't guessed it yet, we're going to be talking about young adults that are attending college and just getting into their adventures, misadventures, you know, just the different the different issues or highs and lows that they're dealing with while they are on campus attending college. So before we actually get into our movies today, I want to yet again play another trivia game. And this game is going to be titled College or Naw. So I'm going to have you guess whether these actors and actresses went to college or not. Now I did choose actors and actresses that are within the movies that we're going to be talking about today. So you should have some idea of what movies we'll be talking about. Um, But if you follow social media, then you'll definitely know what movies we're already going to be getting in today. But let's go ahead and get this trivia game started. All right. So the first actress that we have up today is Anna Faris. Did she go to college or not? Yes, 
she did go to college. She attended the University of Washington. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that was the university her father taught at as well. So that may have been a school that was just within their tradition of family. Whether it was just a school that, you know, her dad taught at and then she knew she was going to go there. Or maybe it just, you know, multiple family members end up going there. All right, next up we have Nick Cannon. Did he go to college or not? Yes, he did go to college. He went to Howard University, but he didn't go when, you know, when you're uh, when you're graduating from high school around the time you're supposed to be going. He went a little later in life after he was able to stack that cheddar and be able to not worry about student loans. So that was definitely good for him. All right, the next actress we have up is Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana. I feel like I said that weird. Yes, so did she go to college or not? No, she did not go to college. All right, next up we have Colin Hanks. Did he go to college or not? So this is a bit of a trick question. He somewhat went to college because he attended Chapman University and then he transferred to La Loyal Marymount University, but he didn't actually earn a degree. So he didn't quite finish, but he did go. But I guess, you know, that's the question. Did they go to college or not? It doesn't mean they graduated. All right, next actress we have up is Emma Stone. College or nah? Nah, she did not go to college. She dropped out of high school and then later she attended online classes after she had convinced her parents to move to LA. So once they actually moved to LA so she could pursue her dreams, she had um, did some online classes. I don't know if she got her diploma or GED, because I know sometimes you can make up for it in a certain way where you get a diploma instead of a GED. So I'm not quite sure how she did that, but the girl made it work, okay? All right, next actress we have up is Kat Dennings. College or not? No, she did not go to college. And then the last actor that we have up is Orlando Jones. Did he go to college or no? Yes, he did go to college. He went to College of Charleston, but he did not get his degree. And just a side note of something I want to say, I truly believe that college should definitely be a choice. I don't think it should be anything that's enforced. I feel as if there are a lot more options out there that kids can venture and and try out. Um, now, if you're going into the medical field, the legal field, being an engineer, um, anything that does really require that type of training, then of course, you know, that's going to be that is going to be your route. That is going to be your way to go, your path to get where you want to be. But if you're an artist or if you are um, 
just you know anything as far as like the creative arts necessarily you don't have to um and then also you know you don't have to fully I wouldn't say that that's something you, you know if, before you dive into college you can take classes for little things you know see how it works out for you I just um I definitely want to give my kids or you know any of the youth around me that college isn't the only way it's great to get your education you could take classes for here and there and you know doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to school end up being you know embedded in debt you know always just give kids more options than just college 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 you know And that's my little two cents for the day. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get into these movies. Lights, camera, action. Kindness is just love with its work boots on. The first movie we have up is The House Bunny. And that quote is by the character Shelly that is played by Anna Ferris. This movie was directed by Fred Wolf, who also directed Strange Wilderness. The writers we have Karen McCullough. The writers we have Karen McCullough and Kristen Smith. And they both wrote 10 Things I Hate About You and The Ugly Truth. And let's go ahead and get into the summary of this movie. So Shelly was born in an orphanage and she never really belonged anywhere until she got older and began to grow into her looks. She even in like her early, I would say maybe like, I think it was like her late 20s, early 20s, end up living in the Playboy Mansion and being a Playboy bunny. Now, Shelly is super sweet, humble, not very smart, but definitely has a heart of gold. And so the Playboy Mansion ended up being the one place where Shelly actually felt at home because all of her life, she never felt like she truly had a family because she didn't know her mom, didn't know her dad, but she was able to build a family in the Playboy Mansion. So Shelly realizes how great her life is, but she's also very humble about it. So she recognizes all of the, all of the, um, the, She realizes all of the riches and fame and, you know, she doesn't have anything that she has to worry about. And she acknowledges that and she's super grateful and humble about it. Um, So she's basically having the best life that she's ever had while being a Playboy bunny. So um, fast forwarding to present day um Shelly is turning 27 and she gets this huge party thrown for her where she's having such a blast I mean even Shaquille O'Neal lifts her up so she can blow the candle out on her cake because the cake is so tall and she's just you know adding another memory into the you know best experiences while being in the Playboy Mansion so Uh, After her 27th birthday, the next day, she wakes up, she's given um, some food to, you know, because, you know, she was drinking, had a good time. And so there's this guy that works in the mansion and he kind of cooks and he's like, 
uh, an aspiring mixologist. And so he brings her this tray of food and this drink that he created they super excited about. And there's a note on the tray. She opens it and it's a letter from Hugh Hefner saying that she needs to leave the house in two hours. She's getting kicked out. And so she's freaking out because she's like, I just turned 27. Why am I getting kicked out? And then Marvin brings up the idea. Well, maybe it's because of your age. And she's like, well, I'm only 27. And he's like, well, that's like 59 in bunny years. And so she tries to go to Hef's room, try to figure out what's going on. And he's not there. Marvin lets her know he has a hard time saying goodbye. And he actually left the state. So Shelly is devastated, but she knows, I mean, if he wants her to leave, then she has to leave. So she ends up um, leaving the house in her old Volkswagen that she had actually came to the Playboy Mansion in. So, of course, that was years and years ago, but they still kept it for him. So she goes off and tries to figure out a place to live. And, you know, basically, what is she going to do for the rest of her life? Um, because she has absolutely nowhere to go. Now, her first night living in her car, she ends up, a cop pulls up behind her, is telling her that she's, you know, breaking all these violations because she ends up, you know, spitting coke out the side of her car because she was brushing her teeth and then used coke to, like, swish and get the toothpaste, toothpaste out of her mouth. And she also had a blanket and a pillow. So he's like, okay, you're not supposed to be, I guess that's considered littering that she's spitting um, outside. And then because she has the blanket and pillow, you're not supposed to be sleeping in your car. So he's talking about all these codes and violations. And she ends up saying something that's pretty quirky, but the cop obviously doesn't know her. And like I mentioned before, Shelly's not the sharpest tool in the shed. So what she says to him makes him think that she's possibly drunk. And so he tells her to blow on this breathalyzer because he's, you know, thinking she's intoxicated. And when he says, you know, I'm gonna need you to blow on this. She thinks he means a BJ. And so, of course, you're not supposed to bribe cops with that because that's how he's taking it as she gets into jail. The next day she gets out of jail, still nowhere to go. But she ends up sitting, seeing these two girls that are talking about Marvin's drinks. And so she ends up following them and they are walking into this neighborhood where there's like this really nice house. And Shelly's like, oh, my God, that's like a mini Playboy Mansion house. So she goes in there. She uh, ends up approaching this one girl saying, like, I want to live here. And the girl pretty much lets her know this is a sorority house and you have to go to school in order to go to the school and then the girl dismisses her because she's like because you know at first Shelly's not really understanding because she's like I'm gonna live here why can't I live here because she's I guess she's, you know she's just kind of used to having a little bit of privilege and being able to do what she wants because she's pretty but in this case it don't work so then um Shelly moves on to the living room in the house and she sees all these older ladies gathered around and she says do y'all go or she asks do y'all go here too and they're like well we used to because we're alumni and you know we're the house mothers and we just you know they explain to her what house mother is we take care of the girls make sure they're not in trouble you know make sure they have everything they need and Shelly's pretty much like oh my god I used to do that at the mansion so like I would be perfect doing it I want to sign up but then they dismiss her because they're like yeah no and so they dismiss her and she has no choice but to leave but one of the mothers tips her off and says well try the Zeta house because their house mother has been hospitalized 
uh, for having hallucinations. <laughs> and so she goes over there and she ends up meeting Natalie. Natalie is played by Emma Stone. And Natalie had just got done talking to the dean of the school. And the dean's name is, let me see, let me make sure I get this right. That, okay, Christopher McDonald. He's Dean Simmons. Um, so he had just told Natalie that they didn't have enough pledges. And so they're going to end up losing the charter of their, to their house. And so when Shelly approaches Natalie, Natalie's pretty much like, we don't have enough pledges. There, We don't need a house mother. And so Shelly doesn't give up. She ends up doing yoga in the Zeta's front yard. And when she does that, all of these boys end up flocking, you know, trying to check her out, seeing this new, you know, hot girl. And this actually convinces Natalie to accept Shelly's offer to be their house mother. Now, initially, when, um, you know, Natalie is introducing Shelly to all the other girls that are in the sorority house, they don't really... Well, their ideas of beauty and, you know, just how they live their life, you know, it, it's totally opposite, okay? Because pretty much all of the girls that are in this sorority house aren't your typical sorority girls. So we have, let's go over um, the sorority girls. So we have uh, Natalie. She's basically like the real nerdy one, a uh, really smart uh, kind, definitely goofy. I was going to say kind of goofy, but no, she is goofy. Uh, then we have Joanne who's played by rumor Willis and she has this body brace on it. You know, people who have braces or body braces, those are ones that definitely get made fun of because of that. Um, and then we have Mona played by Kat Dennings and she's basically the rebel do what I want. Um, a little bit of masculine energy, but just really kind of just that rebel type of girl. We have Harmony played by Catherine McPhee. She's mega pregnant. Okay. She's super pregnant. Uh, we have Lily played by Keely Williams. She's the real shy one. She doesn't even talk out loud. She'll only whisper to people. And we have uh, Tanya, who's just literally the short one. <laughs> and then we, uh, last but not least, we have Carrie May, who is played by Dana Good uh, Goodman. And she's the real, like, butch kind of lumberjack kind of girl. So a little opposite of Mona, but kind of in that same realm. So we have just a bunch of misfits here and they are completely skeptical of Shelly, but, you know, Natalie's trying to convince the girls like, you know, she could really maybe help us get some more pledges because, you know, look at how beautiful she is. You know, maybe she can, you know, turn us into who she is, right? So Shelly begins to try and help build the girl's confidence because she knows before they get any pledges in that house, they have to be confident. They have to, you know, really demand their space within, you know, with being a sorority, you know, because most sororities, it's all about sisterhood and working together and taking care of yourself and taking care of each other. And so they, she knows that they have, that they need to work on that. So her first attempt, because 
a sorority house, they have different tasks that they have to complete. So they have to, you know, raise money. They have to do philanthropy work, you know, so on and so forth. So Shelly's first attempt to help the girls raise money is make the girls have a car wash. So this doesn't go well because as they're trying to wash cars and once again, Shelly's, you know, dressed in like a bathing suit. You know, she has the nice tight body. The guys are coming over there wanting to talk to her. And one of the guys happens to be Natalie's crush, which is Kobe. And Kobe is played by Tyson Ritter. And so, like, Shelly's trying to be sexy, like, talking to the guys like, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, we're going to get wet because we're doing a car wash. And, um, and then Natalie goes, yeah, let's, cause at first, uh, Shelly's talking about, I think like wetting the t-shirt and then Natalie talks about, yeah, and let's wet our pants too. And when she wets her pants, it looks like she peed on herself. And then like, there's one point where she offers Kobe a drink of water and Mona, who's kind of like sitting back, not really buying into any of it ends up, uh, turning the knob to make the water come out. Uh, more and so it ends up splashing all over him because he initially invited them to go to some little like party that they were having and then after that he's like yeah never mind so that doesn't go well and then pretty much all the girls give up at that point but then Shelly ends up meeting this boy named Oliver who is played by Colin Hanks and you know she thinks he's cute he's smart and he actually works at this senior citizen home and so she actually ends up uh getting an idea that she brings to the girls and is like okay I know we have to do the philanthropy work so how about we do it at the old folks home the senior citizen home and so uh she suggests for them to do that but in the meantime let's have like a bonding experience and so she takes all the girls out to the bar and she's trying to get them to flirt with guys and of course they don't know how to do that so they fail at that and then and then to make matters worse Ashley and I forgot to mention her name Ashley was the girl that let Shelly know when she went to the other sorority house that she had to go to the university in order to, you know, be in the sorority house. And Ashley is there at the bar and Ashley tells the girls, Hey, we're doing like a karaoke competition. You should like, you know, join like girls versus, you know, I think she said the girls versus the guys, something like that. But what she ends up doing is uh, when they go on stage to sing the song, like a virgin, they change the lyrics to like a loser and, you know, just, insults that whenever they sing it on stage and they don't initially realize it it's going to make the crowd laugh and you know make fun of them and so of course that night doesn't go as well either and then Ashley ends up rubbing it in their face before they leave the bar that they're pretty much going to take they're going to buy their house as soon as it goes on sale because they know they're going to be losing their charter So then after they get home, all the girls are feeling defeated. They're upset because they're like, why me? Pretty much because nothing's going their way. They can't flirt with boys. They don't have boys. They don't have pledges. They're just, you know, they're just not having the best of luck. And so Ashley's sorority actually sneaks a pig into their house And it's wearing a shirt called Zeta. And so this actually inspires the girls to try to save their house. And so while they try to save their house, Shelly ends up 
teaching them how to dress, how to walk, how to talk to boys, and how to carry themselves and, you know, just be confident women. And she also gives them a makeover. And so, of course, with this makeover, it changes their attitude. It makes them feel better about themselves. It makes them confident. And these girls who were misfits, who look like, you know, something out of, I guess, Revenge of the Nerds movie, (laughs) they look like dolls. They look so gorgeous dressed up. And not only does she make over them, but they make over the house as well, the inside and the outside. And the house just looks way better. It looks more homey, more cozy, more sorority-like, if, you know, if that's the best word to describe that. And so pretty much once the girls get this makeover, their house gets their makeover, everything goes up from there. And they become, start becoming popular amongst the guys on the campus because everybody is starting to pay attention to them starting to hang around them wanting to hang around them and just everything just starts going good for them and of course this movie has a, a happy ending and um this is this is a super super fun movie to watch and so let's go ahead now I'm going to go over the cast and what they've been in and then also mention some cast members that I may have said uh previously so Uh, We have Anna Ferris, who plays Shelly. She was in Scary Movie 1, 2, 3, and 4. Also in the movie Just Friends. And we know her as, you know, a a comedic genius as far as acting. She really brought um, a style in the early 2000s with those scary movies that I don't think was very prominent. And she just, she really, I feel like she really switched up the game, game. And we should give her way more credit then, you know, we, she deserves way more credit than she gets. Uh, then we have Colin Hanks who plays Oliver. He was in the 2005 King Kong in Orange County. We have Emma Stone who played Natalie was in Easy A, La La Land, Superbad, and a bunch of movies. We have Kate Dennings who played Mona was in Mean Girls, Thor 1 and Thor the Dark World. Hugh Hefner even made a cameo, who he's the founder and chief and editor of the Playboy magazine. Uh, Christopher McDonald, uh, Dean, uh, played Dean Simmons. He played Dean Simmons. He was in Thelma Louise, Happy Gilmore. Uh, we have Beverly D'Angelo, who was Mrs. Hagstrom. And she was in, of course, all the National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, American History X. But we we definitely know her from National Lampoon's Vacation. Like, that is her most prominent known role. Uh, then we have Owen Benjamin, who plays Marvin. He was in Jack and Jill, the movie Gay Town. We have Catherine McPhee, who played Harmony. She was in the TV show Ugly Betty and CSI. Rumor Willis played Joanne. Uh, she's Bruce Willis's daughter, and you can definitely tell she was in Sorority Row, Hostage. Then we have Keely Williams, who played Lily. She was one of the singers in 3LW and was also in the movie Cheetah Girls, all of them. Because I think there's three Cheetah Girls, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, then we have Dana Goodman, who plays Carrie Mae. She was in Just Go With It, Ridiculous Six. Uh, we have Kimberly uh, Matt Cook, who played Tanya, Tyson Ritter, who played Kobe. He was in, well, I believe he's still in the band All American Rejects. I'm not sure if they're still making music. Um, and then he was in a couple episodes of Preacher and Peppermint. 
And a little story I have about him. I actually have a picture of Tyson Ritter because one warp tour, you had to like pay like 10 or 15 bucks to take a picture with him. And then he was even because this was like when the whole earthquake happened in Haiti. And he even was he would take money from people to kiss him. So all these girls were like paying to kiss him because he wanted to raise money that bad. At that time, I was, I don't remember how obsessed I was with him because there was a time where I loved Tyson Ritter. I loved All American Rejects. And then it wasn't very long until I started liking Pink and Disco and then became obsessed with them. But I'm trying to think if I was obsessed with it. I don't remember. I don't think I was. Maybe I was. I don't think I was a huge fangirl, but I got a picture with him. And yeah, that's my little story. Okay, moving on. We have Monet Mazar, who played Cassandra. And she was also in Monster in Law, which I love that movie, and All American Show. Uh, then we have Sarah Wright, who plays Ashley. She was in Walk of Shame and 21 and Over. And then we have Kendra Wilkinson, who was one of uh, Hugh Hefner's girlfriends. Because he had many of them, I believe. And she was one of them. And then she went on to do, you know, reality TV and such. All right, so on to the trivia. So at the last minute, the director told Anna Ferris to do a funny voice as she was introduced to the sorority girls and the iconic monster voice is what came out of her mouth. The shock of the girls' faces is very real. So at one point when Shelly first goes into the house, Natalie's introducing her to the other girls. As Natalie is saying each one of the girls' names to introduce them, Shelly would repeat her, she would repeat their name with a kind of demonic sounding voice, right? So, okay, Natalie would say, this is Carrie Mae. And Shelly would go, Carrie Mae. And then she'd be like, this is... Um, Mona, Mona. And so, um, it's funny because Mona goes when she hears her, you know, making this voice and like, they notice it's a pattern. She's saying it after every name. Mona's like, ah, oh, wow. You hired, you hired the exorcist. And it was really funny. Okay. Then at a 98 minute runtime, there's a new costume every 1.4 minutes for Anna Ferris's character, Shelly. That's approximately 70 outfit changes. Holy crap, that's a lot of outfits to change in and out of. Good thing they were kind of uh, like two pieces and dresses and, you know, something easy to kind of get in and out of. So, I, so hopefully that wasn't too bad to go through. It took about 24 times for the producers to sell the pitch for the movie. So this is my little encouragement corner real quick. Don't give up. I don't care if you get rejected two times or 20 times, don't give up. If you believe in what you do, if you believe in your talent, just work hard, be persistent and consistent, and it will get you very far. All right, so done with my little preachy moment. So Anna Ferris chose to appear naked in one scene instead of using a body double. The reactions from her roommates are genuine. So there's a scene where Shelly tells the girls after she's been hired as the house mother, ooh, I would really like to take a shower because I slept in my car and, you know, went to jail. And the girls are like, okay. So she goes to the shower. She comes out naked. And Natalie's like, you know, 
you, you know, most of these girls don't even like looking at their own bodies naked. So I don't think they want to look at yours because, you know, you got this tight chiseled body and Shelly's thinking, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. We're all girls, like no big deal. And so Shelly's like attempting to walk down the stairs and the character Tanya is walking up the stairs. And so there's a shot where Tanya literally comes up just to Shelly's crotch. And so she screams and then walks up, (laughs) which was pretty funny. Now, Anna Ferris got lip injections for her role as she thought her character would have them. She also wore an industrial strength push-up bra to mimic the appearance of breast implants, which she did not have at the time. At the time, right? So she actually credits this film along with her divorce with Ben Indra as the reason she got breast implants. So I guess the industrial bra made made her girls look so good. She said, you know what? How about I just get the real thing? And so she did. So I am mad at it. And that is all we got for the house bunny. And let's go ahead and get into our next movie. Lights, camera, action. You're the best, Devin. But when you're on the field, nobody hears you. They hear the band. This movie is drumline and that quote is by the character sean this movie was released december 13 2002 and the directors are charles stone the third who also directed paid in full and mr 3000 and we have the writer sean sheeps who wrote a son-in-law and Insinio Man, I hope I'm saying that right and then we have tina gordon who wrote for atl and what women want which I know son-in-law, ATL, what woman wants. So that's pretty cool. All right, let's get into the summary here. So Devin has just graduated high school. We are literally watching his ceremony as he has graduated. So we see that Devin is actually in band in school because as they're closing out the ceremony, they are playing for their friends and family. And they are playing the song, I Believe I Can Fly. And Devin is playing the snare. And you could tell he's initially bored. But then he starts spicing it up. Because, you know, that song is a ballad. But then he starts doing more of an up-tempo sound. And you can tell his friends are also on board with it as well. So, initially the conductor's like, wait, what the heck is going on? But it actually sounds good. The crowd's enjoying it. So, he just goes along with it. Now, that's lucky for Devin now because, you know, he's able to get away with that. But, you know, later on, we proved to see, you know, it's not all about you calling the shots when you want to do it. But anyways, so then we see Devin have this moment with his mom where, you know, he's kind of like expressing to her, like, I don't want to leave you. You know, I feel bad, you know, because he's going off to college. He's got a full, a full ride to uh, the university, Atlanta A&T. And so he's going to be leaving, you know, he's feeling a little guilty about it, but his mom pretty much assures him, you know, I'm about to live my life. I'm about to have fun. Cause now I got a kid that's in college. So now I get to do my own thing. So then Devin ends up leaving from his graduation and he ends up going to this uh, subway station. Uh, he is next up in line and he gives the attendant there um, a ticket to his graduation. And the attendant is like, what is this? And Devin's like, I was, you know, debating about inviting you to my graduation because you know what? I, I, 
didn't have no kids. I've never been to jail. And I got a full ride scholarship to a university to play music like I've been wanting to do. So it turns out, so you're thinking, okay, he's pouring his heart to this attendant, right? This poor attendant, like, what did he do? Like, what does this have to do with him? Well, that's his dad, okay? His dad is there. And I, I was kind of thrown off because the guy's like, what is this? And I don't know if maybe he was frustrated because he knew that was his son. And he's like, why are you giving me this? In? Why are you giving me this? Um, or the fact, like, maybe he didn't recognize the boy at first. I'm not sure, but we can definitely conclude that his dad has definitely been a deadbeat all his life. And before he went off to college, he wanted to just get that off of his chest. So anywho, so Devin's on his way to college. He's on the bus. He ends up meeting three different guys. Okay. And, and let me backtrack a little bit. Devin is played by Nick Cannon and he ends up meeting three guys on the bus. And we have uh, GQ who is, he plays Jason uh, we have Ernest, who's played by Jason Weaver, and we have Earl Portier, who plays Charles, and they kind of instantly click on the bus. And then we have um, the bus driver who lets them know about their school's rival and how they have a marching band at uh, Morehouse. They have a marching band. Let me make sure. It's either Morehouse or Morris College. I want to make sure I do this right. Okay, it's Morris Brown College. So he talks a little bit about their competitors and that they pretty much have some flavor in their marching band. They're they're playing hit music, dancing music, you know, music that's going to make the crowd go wild. But then he mentions that pretty much since Dr. Lee, who's played by Orlando Jones, has become, you know, the conductor, the lead um, of the, or I guess you maybe say the director of like the marching band, he pretty much has like he's pretty particular about his music he's not about making people dance making people cheer happy he's just about musicianship and so then Devin even makes a joke like dang I'm on the wrong bus then like I'm going to the wrong school because I want to play where they got some flavor so they do end up making it to school instantly Devin uh, Devin sees this girl who catches his eyes who catches his eye her name is Layla and Layla is played by Zoe Saldana. And he, he instantly knows that she's an upperclassman and that she's pretty much out of his league. But he's a go-getter type of guy, so he's not going to give up on stuff that he wants easily. So then after he kind of, you know, gets dissed by her, he ends up meeting with his other band members that, are, of course, have already been on campus, already part of the band. And they are giving all of like the newbie band members information like, hey, y'all going to wear all white shirts because y'all are newbies and y'all are going to have to go through training before y'all even make it onto the band. But in order for us to, um, you know, how they kind of do like their initiation stuff. So and for us to identify you, that's what you have to wear. And so instead of Devin and the boys doing right, you know, going to their dorm, preparing for the next day because they're going to have to wake up early, Devin tells them about this party. So they go to this party and that next morning, um, Ernest is actually late to practice. And then 
Devin is wearing an all black shirt. And this is where we're first seeing the rebellious side of Devin and how he doesn't like to take orders. He likes to do his own thing. And instantly we see that Devin is butting heads with the percussion leader named Sean. And, and they, cause Sean is good and Devin is good, but Devin still, even though he's good, he has a lot to learn. And so Sean is, you know, having to, he, he has authority because he's been on the band. He knows how everything is. And Devin is definitely trying to test it. So during this training, it ends up being grueling and challenging, and it definitely shows to be more difficult than all the boys anticipated because uh, Devin is roommates with Ernest, and um, like GQ and Charles, they'll they'll come down to the room. They'll have like moments where they talk to each other, hang out. Uh, but Ernest and Devin are roommates. So, oh, and another thing, their first day of practice, Doctor Lee ask Ernest because when Ernest came to practice like who is your roommate and he's like Devin and he tells Devin like why didn't you wake him up when you know you got here on time and Devin's like I'm not his mama so pretty much he has the independent selfish mentality that I don't have to help nobody but you can't be that way in a band and he's gonna learn that so anyway so you know training's crazy but they make it through it and they learn after training that they are going to have to audition for their place on the band. So there's P1, P2, P3, P4. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe P3 and P4 are backups. And so when Devin has his audition, he aces it. But he doesn't read the music that was put before him. He kind of puts his own spin on it. But Sean does mention, you know, how can someone have a piece memorized like this? Because this piece was intentionally made to make them like flub, flub and mess up on, you know, their beat. But Devin kind of just, I guess he took a little bit of the music and then did his own thing. But I mean, it's questioned a little bit as to why he didn't go by the piece, but he did so good that, uh, they also, during this, um, their, uh, tryouts, they have upperclassmen that are judging their skills on what place that they believe they should be within the band. And so after Devin's tryout, the upperclassmen vote for him to be P1. P1 means you're definitely going to be on the field. And so Dr. Lee kind of agrees with it, even though they know, okay, he didn't do exactly what was on the paper, but I mean, he's freaking good, right? And so along with, okay, so, so he, of course, he ends up making P1 in the snare section or the percussion section. And along with that good news, he ends up, you know, going back to the girl Layla that he met before. Well, actually, she goes up to him and, you know, she's like, I know that you made, you know, the the band or like what position you made. And it turns out she's actually one of the dancers for the marching band. So they're going to end up being close either way because she actually works you know, within the same realm that he does. So they actually end up building a relationship, getting to know each other more and, you know, start getting really, you know, I mean, they're really starting to click and connect. So, uh, let's see here. Now, 
Now, Sean and Devin continue to butt heads and challenge each other. And Devin, you know, because he's made it as far as he has, he still continues to be cocky and it hasn't let up yet. So the first game Devin plays, he actually, before they get on the field, insults Sean about his solo. And Sean is like, oh, okay, well, you don't think I could do it. Then how about you do the solo? Now, Sean's initially thinking that he's going to flu that he's going to mess up he's going to choke and he's not going to do it but he says like hey you know if you think you can do it better then you do it so they get onto the field they're doing their thing Sean solo comes up he looks at Devin like okay it's time for you to go up and Devin freezes so then Sean's like I knew you wouldn't do it so he get you know he he steps up he starts doing a solo and then I guess Devin comes too and he walks up beside Sean starts doing the solo as well and sync with him and then what what makes matters worse is well because you know Sean wasn't expecting him to do it anyways and then to pick up tempo like in the middle of the solo and be doing it like perfectly like him Sean was not expecting that and then Devin has the audacity to step in front of Sean to block him like what that shows how cocky he is now when Dr. Lee sees this he's upset but the crowd is cheering everybody's loving him and then at one point you know Devin kneels down and the music stops right And he keeps going. He's doing like a freestyle solo for a little bit longer. And then after the show's over, you know, Dr. Lee is pissed. He is upset. He's just like, what was that? And he's really mad at Sean because he's like, you shouldn't even told him to do that because you know how he is. But then they end up getting approached by president. Let's see. What's his name? His name. um, He's the president of the school. And... Okay, well, the president of the school ends up coming up to them, uh, coming up to Dr. Lee and coming up to Devin and Sean, and he's telling them, like, how excited he is about that little, you know, about that little stunt they pulled. And he's like, that should be incorporated with every performance because it really kind of tested their skills it was entertaining they should always incorporate that and of course Dr. Lee is like I didn't plan that no one planned this but you know the president had been wanting something new and fresh anyways so when he saw that he just really you know ate that up and this uh it's President Wagner and he's played by a female uh, played by a female and his last name starts with O. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that. So pretty much after that performance. Okay, so after that performance, you know, later on, um, Devin's still doing his thing, but Sean wants to test Devin right? Because from the beginning, he kind of caught on how he didn't read the music directly. So when Sean had wrote a new piece for the band, uh, he suggests that Devin should play it because Dr. Lee is like, Hey, what's that new piece that you wrote? I want to hear it. And Sean's like, Oh yeah, we should have Devin play it because you know, I wrote it. We should hear it from someone different, see how it sounds. And Devin actually gets upset and walks out because he's like, he, what, well, what we discover is he cannot read music, but of course they didn't know that. And so Dr. Lee gets 
upset with Devin and he tells him like, okay, you're going to go down to P4 and you're going to have to take percussion classes so you can learn how to read music because you cannot be on my band and not know how to read music. And so P4 obviously means you're not first on the field. You're only a backup. But that actually doesn't last long because the next game they have, the principal sees that Devin isn't on the field. So the president, or uh, I hope I I didn't say principal, the president ends up telling uh, Dr. Lee, you have to put him on the field. Like, I demand for you to do it. Now, of course, the president doesn't know anything that's going on, that he doesn't know how to read music, that to be honest, I don't even think he would care. So he ends up putting Devin on the field everything goes well perfect you know nothing too crazy but then after the game and actually this is their homecoming game so after the homecoming game or kind of during the homecoming game at one point the president has set up where he wanted the opposite team's percussion section to go against their percussion section and so during this kind of supposed to be friendly competition between you know two different marching bands uh, at one point when A&T is, you know, doing their thing, Devin decides to freestyle and ends up playing the person because everyone's kind of like they have someone like standing in front of them or across from them. And he decides to play the opposite person's drum that he was across from. And this causes a fight to break out. And at this point, everyone on the band is tired of Devin. So not only Sean, but everyone. Because they're like, you done got us in a fight. You are always trying to show off. You're not a team player. So initially people had had his back here and there. But at this point, they're all over it. And so what ends up happening is Dr. Lee kicks him off the team completely because he's like, you can't read music. You're not a team player. You know, everything I listed before. So you have to go. And we know you're great, but your greatness is a distraction from the band. So he gets kicked off. And as he is, you know, he's bored. He really doesn't have anything to do because band was his life. He gets his package in the mail. And what do you know? It's from his dad. His dad has sent him all these tapes, all this like funky old school music. And Devin ends up hearing all this music and you know, decides to create some music from it for like for him to play and just to give him something to do, I'm guessing, you know, to be creative and to play because that's what all he wants to do is play the drums or the snares. So he goes down to the band hall because they have this computer where um, like a computer sensor where they could like play the music on the snare drum and it will print it out. So you don't have to like physically write it, which was super dope. So when he goes down there, he ends up seeing Sean and Sean is like, you know, he's doing his thing. He was, you know, making some music. And so then they end up exchanging words because they didn't leave off on good terms before. And then they like try to like battle off with the, you know, drums and then, Sean, uh, Devin ends up winning. Sean ends up finally admitting to Devin because this is what Devin has wanted this whole time. Sean to for Sean to admit that Devin is the best. So Devin ends up, you know, finally hearing what he wanted to hear. But at the same time, you know, that quote that I said at the beginning, Sean lets him know, like, if you want to be the band, be the band by yourself, but you can't, you have to be a part of 
it's either you're with everyone or you're not with no one. And he pretty much is like, let him know. Like, when you go out there, you're not the only drum that's playing, you know? Everyone has to work together. Okay, when you make a dish, all of the ingredients are important to make the dish. But there is multiple ingredients. You know, spaghetti isn't just spaghetti. You know, you have to have the sauce. You got to have the seasonings. You know, you might want to add some garlic bread. You may want to add meatballs. You know, so many different variations. But it's a collective. It's individual individuals that come together as a collective to really make something special and so that's the moment where Devin finally kind of gets it that he has to be a part of the team in order to do what he loves and so they actually end up working together because at one point they're going to be competing in the the BET uh Southern Classic and so Devin's not on the team, but he ends up working with them. They end up kind of changing up the style, you know, incorporating some more, you know, um, some more flavor to their band compared to the more, you know, classical songs that they would play before. And so, to be honest, this is a movie where I, like, the last, I would say last 45 minutes of it, I would say last maybe 45, 50 minutes of it was my favorite because of the fact that I love like the transition from him being cocky to growing up and working with Sean and becoming a better person and just having that breakthrough. And I just, I just I, like, I'm not trying to be funny. Cause you know, people are like, Oh yeah. The best part I loved about the movie was the end. Like I'm not being funny. Um, I genuinely like towards the end of the movie, just because of that transition and just the way it plays out and stuff. I just, I really, really enjoy it. All right. So can we have a respect to concept corner real quick? The originality of this concept, the, the, um, the originality, the innovation, because the fact that someone said, let's take one individual person from band and let's talk about how passionate they are with it. Let's talk about the fight of having to prove their ability, you know, let's talk, let's, let's just, cause we don't think of, you know, people in marching band. We don't think about their individual passions. First of all, marching bands, we listen to them, we love them, but who would have thought, let's make a movie about one particular person in marching band. Um, I just think that's so creative. I think that's so innovative. And I don't think this movie gets as much credit as it deserves because that's just an original concept. And you cannot down something like that because I I love how this movie shows the raw emotion because especially with trying to prove your ability and that's what he's trying to do, but he doesn't realize, you know, there's a way of going about doing that. You can't run over people. You can't step to people and you can't always just act like you're unreplaceable, you know? So yeah, I definitely respect this concept. Now this isn't my favorite movie, but I can respect what people create if it's genius and um, like, for example, I'm not a huge fan of Star Wars, but I respect George Lucas for what he created. I respect uh, J.K. Rowling for Harry Potter because I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. Sorry, but I can respect those concepts and just have mad love and appreciation for it. All right. So to go over the castmates and what they've been in and, you know, of course, talking about some castmates I didn't mention. So, of course, we had Nick Cannon who played Devin. He was in Love Don't Cost a Thing, Underclassmen, the classic All That, Wild and Out. 
Zoe Saldana uh, played Layla, was in Avatar, Star Trek, Gardens of the Galaxy. Orlando Jones, who played Dr. Lee, he was in Double Take, The Time Machine. We have Leonard Roberts, played by uh, played Sean Taylor, was in American Sniper and Savages. We have GQ, who played Jason. He was in Rescue Dawn, Taxi. We have Jason Weaver, who played Ernest. He was in The Jacksons in American Dream. He also did the voice of young Simba, well, the singing voice of young Simba, Simba in the animated movie The Lion King. We have Earl Portier, who played Charles. He was in Remember the Titans. We have Candace Carey, who plays Deidre. She was in The Evil One. And then we have Shay Roundtree, who played Big Rob. And he was in the Disney movie Let It Shine. All right, so some trivia. Uh, Leonard Roberts, who plays Sean, was actually very sick when the last scenes of the BT Southern Classic was filmed, which is why he was so sweaty and looked slightly weak at the end of the film. Super interesting what people go through while filming, how they're feeling, and just the fact that you would never know. You just think it blends into the situation or the uh, scenes or uh, just whatever's going on. You think it, it, that's it's purposeful, you know, because everything you do in film is for a purpose. Uh, then we have uh, Nick Cannon prepared for his role by practicing in a hotel suite with his double and drummer. Uh, Jason Price, as well as sleeping with the drumsticks tied to his hands. One of the bands performing at the BT Southern Classic is Clark Atlanta University, whose campus is used as the setting for Atlanta A&T University in the movie. And A&T University is not an actual university, y'all. Uh, Nick Cannon did his own drumming on screen while his double, Jason Price, did majority of the close-ups with complex techniques. While Morris Brown is a real college in Atlanta, there's no real Atlanta A&T, like I said. The filming was done at Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta and at Morris Brown. The performers, aside from those from Morris Brown, were recruited from high school and university bands all over Atlanta and metro Atlanta area. High school band director Don Roberts was recruited to turn the performers into real convincing bands. And let me tell you this, I was convinced. It, it, was, it was a good movie there was some iconic scenes in this movie as well the acting was good I mean it, it is a good movie and like I said I deeply deeply appreciate it and you know what else I appreciate that we're at the end of this episode <laughs> no I don't not like that guys um I appreciate that we made it to the end and you know what the credits are rolling the show is over and I'll see y'all at the next show time.